Welcome to Vibrant Potential. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Frickman. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Carl Anderson. He is the owner of Sedation and Implant Dentistry in St. Paul. He's a dentist, he's a periodontist, and he is a diplomat in oral implantology, and he's also a naturopathic MD. And so this he's a really cool guy. He's very, very down to earth. And he knows obviously a ton about dentistry and tooth health. Uh, But one of the cool things about his practice is that he takes into account a little bit more about the whole body health and obviously how the mouth affects that. I really appreciate that about him, that it's not just this isolated, what should we do with this tooth? Uh, What do we do for the mouth? Uh, I appreciate that he more understands what's going on uh, in the rest of the body. So uh, Chamonix has actually been going to see him uh, for some issues, and and we get into that. So I'll let you listen to the the interview because I get into that quite a bit. It's actually been very, very helpful for her, and I've referred a couple other patients over there as well, and uh, he's doing some great work over there. We talk a little bit about you know, should you be using hydrogen peroxide? Should you be using fluoride? And how can you help to limit or turn around tooth decay, limit cavities? And we talk quite a bit about root canals and that technology and and if that's a good tool to be using for people and, and whatnot. Without further ado, here's Dr. Carl Anderson. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques, so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Dr. Carl Anderson, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Dr. Frickman. I'm really honored that you took the time to do this. I I really wanted to get some information out to some of my listeners. You and I first met at a functional medicine seminar where we were both attending and, and we got to be friends and uh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit more over time. Over the course of that, you know, I let you know a little bit about Chamonix Health, just like a quick synopsis for people that maybe haven't listened to all of my shows or don't don't know us uh, super well. Chamonix is, she's my partner and she is, she's had some, a lot of health challenges in the last few years, unfortunately. She's a, she's a functional medicine doc, just like I am, chiropractor. So we know quite a bit about health, but she got breast cancer a few years ago and she was really shocked about it. Obviously we both were. And, you know, she was someone that was, was exercising a moderate amount. She was eating tons of vegetables, eating really well. She's doing a lot of things right in life. But clearly something happened and it's, you know, then of course you start digging into what the heck was it, you know, that caused the caused the mastectomy first of all, but then she went through a series of, of surgeries to, to have a mastectomy, get the, get the tumor out. And so she ended up having a right mastectomy. She had uh, some lymph nodes removed with that too. And uh, she's about three and a half years uh, post that surgery now. Uh, unfortunately, 
what happened for her was something that we're finding out is is not super uncommon with with mastectomy cases that uh, she has something that the Mayo Clinic has called post mastectomy pain syndrome, which obviously just means that well you had this mastectomy and now you have pain and we don't really know why we you know we have some things that sometimes work for people and none of those things have worked for her uh, thus far. And so we've been doing, obviously, some research into, you know, why did she get cancer in the first place, but also how does she go about not getting it back? And how does she get rid of this pain that has really been debilitating for her for the last few years, three and a half years-ish or so? And uh, I mean, she hasn't been able to practice. She, uh, you know, she can't even like think think all the way you know what I mean I mean it's I shouldn't say she can't think at all right but I mean it's just for any listeners that have had chronic pain you can understand what I'm saying it's 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 in your face at all times it's she's in pain all the time and so she gets by better than you know better than I would if I was in that much pain I mean she's she's doing awesome but uh, she's had a lot of challenges. And as you and I were talking, getting to know each other, I mentioned her story to you and you ended up wanting to do some imaging. So she came into your office and I think it was, was it a 3D x-ray? What, what did you run on her? Uh, Cone beam CAT scan. Chris. Oh, oh, got it. Yeah. Uh, CBCT is what do we call it, which for a lot of listeners, um, it's not the uh, the same radiation, for instance, as a CAT scan, which could be quite a bit of radiation. Cone beam allows us to uh, get a focal point of uh, of the uh, scan, so we're actually shooting a real minimum of radiation, a lot less than the the, for instance, just an old dental X-ray, and so we can actually gain a view of objects in the oral cavity and the head and neck region in a 3D dimension. So we can look at it from uh, all different uh, angles, basically. Oh, oh, gotcha. That's where I got the 3D from. My bad on that one. Okay, yeah. well, so what, and then I'll let you say what you what you saw as a result of that. But just to finish up, Shamini has, I, I mean, she's still kind of going through this process with you actually right now. Yeah. So she's had, like I said, over three years of arm pain that never goes away. And she went in, had a procedure with you that I'll, I'll let you describe. And she's had days of no arm pain. A couple of times it seems to have come back and uh, she's gone back in and she's been injected with some ozone and then the arm pain went away and stuff like that. So she's still kind of like going through this process of killing whatever infection is in there and stuff like that. But uh, so I, I I know that we can't make any claims about, you know, curing cancer and all those types of claims obviously we're you know just so i'm clear we're not making any claims about that but uh, i do hope that we can kind of talk about her case you know anecdotally and and kind of get to the listeners some kind of idea about what this connection is maybe we can talk about interference fields if that's appropriate but first of all thank you publicly i'm just gonna say thank you so much for for doing what you have done for shamini and wonder if you can kind of talk a little bit more about what you saw in that uh cone beam CAT scan and wonder if you can talk about what you've like what the procedure has been and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, well, thanks, Chris. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Sh- uh, Shermani's case was not all that unusual uh, for, for my practice. Um, we, um, we see a bit of this uh, over the period of the last few years specifically. And part of that is, is sort of an acceleration of uh, people telling people, telling people and, and, 
next thing you know, I have, uh, I've had quite a few uh, uh, women specifically uh, with breast cancer. A lot of them get referred by um, Picture My Health, which is a thermography uh, clinic where women can go and get a thermography done. A thermography is uh, basically a photograph of the body that, that, look, that will pick up uh, perceived heat. So it'll perceive uh, hot spots, uh, if you want to call it, where there's blo- more blood flow. In my opinion, it probably, it's, it's probably a better way to screen for breast cancer and or problems in the body um, because it's non-invasive. It's not like a mammogram. Um, mammogram, of course, being a sort of a standard of care recommended by all doctors to, for, uh, for women at a, with a high risk or women after a certain age to have thermography or, uh, excuse me, a, uh, a mammogram. mammogram. Yeah, right. Mammogram. Which, which <laughs> comes with its own set of potential risks. Oh, oh yeah. There's, there's studies that have shown mammograms actually might be correlated and actually are correlated with a higher incidence of breast cancer, which might make sense because of the procedure. I mean, they take and they squish out the breast tissue um, squish it. It can be quite painful, according to my wife. And uh, then they, of course, take a radiograph of the uh, of the breast. In either case, so these uh, gals over a picture of my health found out about me and started uh, sending over p- women, uh, specifically a lot of females, with uh, uh, hot spots on the thermography in the head and neck region. Well, they started looking and it's finding an incredible correlation between um, certain teeth, uh, upper right first and second molars, lower right uh, or lower left, excuse me, either side, it depends on the side, but because um, it's usually unilateral, meaning if you have a right side hot spot on the breast and you have, you quite frequently will find a right side hot spot in the mouth and it will most likely link to the upper first molar and or first and second molar or to the lower uh, bicuspid and maybe first molar region. So, I mean, I'm automatically, when uh, Shimani came in and started telling me about her history with breast cancer, I'm quite naturally just automatically looking at the right side, focusing more on the right side at that point. And what we found was she had a site in uh, the lower right wisdom tooth area where she had had in a, a previous um, wisdom tooth extracted. And... Just because you have the tooth removed doesn't mean the bone heals normally. Sometimes the bone, for whatever reason, heals abnormally. It could be that the doctor left periodontal ligaments, the doctor left infection in the jaw, and it could be just the body healing unnaturally but in, or, or possibly a dry socket during the healing process. But in either case, she had unhealed bone in site number 32, which is a wisdom tooth site, meaning she had a cavitation in the bone that was quite obvious on three-dimensional. The challenge is you can't see these uh, view, You can't see these things sometimes when you're looking at a two-dimensional x-ray. And I know this, but a lot of doctors will swear up and down there's nothing wrong with anything on that side. And, and I believe in Shamani's history, they said that. They looked at that right side previous. Oh, there's nothing wrong over there. Yeah, in and fact, I'm going to interject and just say that yeah. what they're doing is the standard of care in dentistry. Like, it's yeah. it's not... It's not like someone worked on her and it was like found negligent or guilty of malpractice no. or something like that. That's that's the standard of care. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with the uh, the X-ray and the panoramic panoramic view and uh, and periapical X-rays. 
are the standard of care in dentistry, but you have to understand that they're limited in what they are. They're two-dimensional pictures of a three-dimensional object. Right. So I quite often explain, and I explain to Shamani, you know, uh, I, put a, I cut my right hand and put it behind my left hand, and then I hold my left hand out and say, do you see anything? Well, of course not. My right hand is being obliterated from view uh, by my left hand. Right. But if I turn it in another view, of course, you can see my right hand. It's right there, right behind my left hand. You know? Right. It's just, yeah. And so I use, yeah, I, I use that as an example all the time. It's just the limitation of that, uh, that, that, tool. that tool, that technology, that tool. Well, knowing that, and over the years, having been an implantologist and having had uh, and having some of the technology available, that uh, I, I do have a cone beam CAT scan, which many dentists now do have that, but uh, uh, but it's still you know, it's a more expensive technology to have in the office. But in either case, I have that technology, and so um, I looked immediately at that right side, which, like I say, everybody else is saying there's nothing wrong with it. Besides the cavitation, I found in the third molar site, which is like a, it's like a hole in the bone. And these holes in the bone, Chris, if that's all it was, that'd be fine. But quite often, what they've found in the research has shown, we find uh, anaerobic bacteria, bacteria that can exist in the absence of air, are generally impregnated and basically captured in that cavitation. And these bacteria are giving off endotoxins, toxins that are extremely toxic to the human body. In, in, in fact, more so than botulism, it's just that they're in a very minute dosing. In either case, we, that was one thing we found. The second thing we found in site number 30, which would be her first molar site, which had been treat, previously treated with a root canal, uh, when we were, when we were, and that root canal had been extracted, and when we were looking at that site, uh, you know, it wasn't obvious on a two-dimensional view, but it was really obvious on a three-dimensional view. She had a root tip in there. She had a piece of root that had broken off when the tooth was extracted, and that piece of root had a little abscess around it, okay, a little infection around it. And so those were areas that immediately alerted me that, you know, I think we have to treat this lower right side on you. Because those things do act, you mentioned the term interference fields, besides giving off endotoxins, besides those areas, in fact, uh, the, the first molar site, being very much related to the right side breast, okay, meaning there's a correlation a lot of times between a problem on the right side breast and a problem in those areas, um, uh, I, I got very uh, concerned for her, and so we treated those areas. Now, how we had to treat those areas, uh, we could either use ozone in the cavitation or we could do surgical exposure. Of course, in the root tip situation, we had to surgically expose, remove the root tip, and then treat the bone. Uh, quite often, we use, utilize ozone in that process. Now, since then, she had an incredible result initially and came back at the post-op going, I can't believe it. I, my right side, I don't have that pain that uh, post-mastectomy pain syndrome that you called it, right. which sounds to me just a, a name for something you don't understand, so let's give it a name. But, you know, in either case, yeah, they don't understand these things, but it, it truly was an inter interference field. And so uh, we treated that area with ozone, and we've been treating that over a period of, uh, I suggested, a, a few sessions of injecting ozone into that area, which doesn't generally hurt. We numb the gum a little bit, 
and we inject ozone into the general vicinity is what we're doing when we're doing that is we're help repolarizing uh, uh, the anesthetic repolarizes cellular um, depolarized cells and we allow them to sort of reboot if you want to call it that so we open up that interference field and then we go ahead and put ozone in that area which is very effective as an oxidant against pathogens and so I'm, I'm wondering if I can just like try to break this apart for people yeah. a little bit. First of all, I, I just want to mention just so people get a more visual about it. The ozone injection is actually uh, so some people might not know uh, oxygen uh, most commonly in in our atmosphere that we breathe is two molecules of oxygen. That's like you. That's why we call it O2. Most people have heard of that. Um, and ozone uh, a lot of people know this too, but but less uh, know that ozone is actually it's still oxygen, but it's three molecules of oxygen put together, and that is less stable. Um, and you know we have an ozone layer like up in the atmosphere and stuff, and people can even buy like ozone uh, emitters for their house and stuff, which actually uh, is potentially harmful in in certain circumstances. They can be useful and stuff, but. Um, but anyways, that's ozone. So then, so it's a gas at room temperature. It's a gas, just like oxygen. And so I was actually a little bit surprised. For some reason, I was under the the concept that this, for somehow the ozone was like in solution somehow. I, I don't know why I thought that, but um, but but when I was in there watching the procedure, I I found out oh, it's actually literally you have a syringe of gaseous ozone. And you're just injecting that into the tissue. And so I, I just wanted to kind of paint that picture for people. And then I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about, you mentioned an antiseptic uh, depolarizing cells and things like that. Um, so can you kind of get into what that means exactly? Well, the, uh, yeah, it wasn't antiseptic, it was anesthetic. Okay, we can... Oh, oh, um, oh. Yeah. can I say antiseptic? I'm sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, when we're when we're going into that air arena, I mean, what we're technically doing at that point is neurotherapy, uh, Dr. Chris. Uh, neurotherapy is a German biological treatment uh, done virtually every day in Germany in uh, virtually almost every MD's office. Uh, Germans are uh, have been using neurotherapy, and it originated from uh, from uh, German researchers going back into the middle of the 1900s. And so what they found was procaine, which is an anesthetic. Uh, it's what people remember as Novocaine. You know, when they say, well, I, I don't want any Novocaine. Uh, we use procaine as an anesthetic, and it, it will actually uh, help uh, depolarize, repolarize cellular membranes that get clogged. When cell, cells get clogged, they can't respirate. They can't get rid of cell poop, if you want to call it that. <laughs> okay. okay? Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, so you know, normal so those, cells. Those metabolic living, waste products. Yeah, those metabolic waste products. Those have to go into the lymphatic tissue, uh, into the interstitial fluid, and they have to actually brought to, brought to the lymphatic drainage system, which is the way we a cell respirates and gets rid of uh, those those toxins. When that system, that that inter that interstitial fluid or the cellular biological terrain, you want to call it the uh, ground substance, when that gets clogged up, we, and, and quite often it happens also in the lymph node level, we get uh, sort of a stagnation. 
and we don't get proper lymph drainage. Yeah? And so neurotherapy is and prolotherapy are utilizing ozone to uh, basically unclog that area to release those toxins and allow them to get into the lymphatic, drain, lymphatic system and start draining the, the, the lymphatic system. And there's a combination of things. I mean, you, we can we can we can start injecting all the way down into the neck, into the lymph uh, nodes themselves. Uh, we can, uh, you know, there's there's a variety of applications of neurotherapy, but um, that's basically what we've been doing on shamani. Shamani. Number one, we had to get rid of the toxic source. You know, if we're talking in the in the mouth about toxins, mercury fillings. Uh, root canals or cavitations, peritoneal disease. When we're talking about those things, we're talking about toxins. We have to get rid of the toxins. One one fact that I came across when I've been studying this arena over the last couple of years, uh, Dr. Freakland, is that, for instance, in Germany, uh, Shimani wouldn't have been allowed to have her breast surgery done without losing those teeth and without cleaning up that oral cavity. In fact, Dr. Joseph Esels, Joseph Esels was his name, okay, had a clinic in Germany. He was considered, uh, had the highest success rate of uh, cancer treatment um, in, the, in uh, Europe, basically. And uh, in his clinic, I mean, the first step was seeing a dentist. You know, you didn't get to get your cancer treated without seeing the dentist. Rucanal teeth, chronic inflamed tonsils, they were removed. They weren't allowed to stay. There was no such thing in their clinic as a good root canal. You automatically were had those removed, okay, before so, you went further to cancer therapy. Just again, so people can kind of, you know, we get like a visual for people. Yeah. Can you, I mean, just give like the 15 second, or maybe it's not quite that fast, but what? what is a root canal? I mean, a root canal is basically when, I mean, my... My understanding is is you just you have a tooth, it's infected or dead or something like that, and and you literally take it out. Um, so that's like that's a tooth extraction. But then th- is the root canal actually the part where you actually go back and like put a fake tooth in there, or what's the actual root canal? What's the what's the dental um, you know definition of a root canal? Well, root canals have been done for hundreds of years, but in fact, George Washington had root canal in his mouth before he ended up losing most of his teeth. But, and interesting, I don't think that the procedure has, it hasn't advanced all that much, but the concept of root canal is to, that you can basically remove the uh, nerve uh, and blood supply and uh, lymphatic supply of a tooth that is actually in, in a tooth, innervating a tooth through the end of the root. So at the bottom of a root, all teeth, living teeth, have a little opening called the apex, and at that apex of the root, you have blood supply going into the nerve and, and nerve supply going into the tooth. That's why if you get a small cavity, you start having pain because that nerve in the tooth is perceiving the insult to the tooth, or why you have feeling to your teeth um, when hot and cold, for instance, is that you have nerve, live nerve tissue in the tooth. Well, once that has been insulted too much, either deep decay or crack in the tooth or some other insult over a period of time. I, we've, I think we've found that more, it's mostly repeated insults over time, meaning 
you're six years old, it's a six-year-old molar, lower right side, first molar that comes into the mouth, all of a sudden you get your first cavity at six, seven, and eight years old, and all of a sudden the dentist puts a filling in. Uh, you go back in your teenage years, or you got a bare, you know, more cavity on the tooth, maybe you have a, a cavity on the in between the teeth, it's called interproximal between the teeth, maybe you have a cavity there. So next thing you know, we're insulting that tooth again by doing a larger filling. Then you get later in adult life, and uh, you've got another uh, recurrent decay around the old filling, and they're insulting that tooth again. Those repeated exposures to insult, over a period of time, that nerve, for whatever reason, does not survive, and or the decay has gone so deep that it actually infects the nerve of the tooth, and you've got a necrosis or infected nerve canal. So what a root canal is, it'll go in and open up into the tooth, and we go down into the roots through the top of the tooth. We go in, down to the bottom of the tooth, and we start a process of disinfection, cleaning out any gunk and nerve tissue. And if we, you know, root canal procedure, I mean, we use chemical disinfection, a variety of different things. You can use even a laser. But the best that I think all the research shows is that we get about 80% disinfection, Chris, which means we leave 20% of the pathogens still in the, that, in, in the actual root canal. And we dry it, and then we put in a rubber, rubber material called gutta percha and a sealer, and we seal the tooth upright. And if we do it perfectly at the end of the tooth, we call that a root canal procedure. Okay, so I was I was actually misinformed. So the a, a straight up root canal is actually not a tooth extraction. It's actually the tooth remains like basically at that point it would be dead a dead the outside of a dead, dead tooth. Yeah, it's so basically you, a dead tooth. Okay, so you go down through the middle, or a dentist that does a root canal would go down through the middle of the tooth, sort of like from the top. Um, they kind of like drill down through the middle of the tooth, get yeah. as much of the root and stuff as they can, try to disinfect it, but they only get like 80% approximately if they're doing a good job. And then and then you just leave the dead tooth in there. You got to like seal it up with something and just leave the dead tooth in there and figure like, ah, it's just uh, something that we use to chew our food with, so why has it got to be alive anyway? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And that's basically your only option. If you've got an infected nerve, you either have to extract the tooth or you do a root canal. My challenge is not that we're doing the root canal procedure, although I, I don't believe in them. I, over the period of years, I would never see what I appeared to be, what I considered what's called a good root canal. In fact, I think there's research that shows there's endotoxins at the apex of every root canal tooth, even teeth that are judged by uh, endodontists, which are the specialists of root canal teeth. Uh, radiographically, clinically, they say it's an absolutely beautiful root canal. There's no problem with that. There is always a low-grade infection within those teeth because you didn't get all the anaerobic bacteria out of there. Because what a root canal, what, what a tooth is made of, a root of a tooth, is three and a half miles of microtubules, extremely small microtubules. And these, if you look at them under a, a scanning microscope, it looks like a, uh, like a coral, uh, a seabed co uh, coral, you know, just a gazillion little holes, little uh, tubules. Well, you know, how can you possibly disinfect it? You can't. And then how can you possibly seal it? You can't. Okay. And so, there's always a correlation between, uh, there's always a low grade. Now, if your immune system is real strong, 
Um, you know, the root canal can exist without giving you pain um, if, if your immune system is strong. But it's those repeated injuries, insults to the body over time and the accumulative effect of biotoxins that I believe uh, link us and why we have a correlation between uh, these things and cancer. I don't believe we can make us jump and say that a root canal causes cancer. I, I think that's a dangerous statement to be making, and it's a, a statement that's um, irresponsible. But we certainly know that the biotoxins are an insult to the biological system. Now, all of a sudden, you accumulate more and more and more of these insults, and they can be in the form of a variety of different things, viral infections, uh, any kind of bacterial parasitic infections, and you've got these insults that have accumulated. Now you potentially have a, uh, a risk of development of, uh, well, we know we have dysbiosis, we have our system that's not in balance, and then we can, we're more at risk of developing cancer, okay? Right, yeah, and it's, it's a lot like vaccines, not yeah. that I want to go down that you know rabbit hole too far, but yeah. uh, there's uh, absolutely risk and injury that happens when when you receive a vaccine, and you know there, there's a question about is there ever a time when the risk is worth the the benefit and that kind of thing. Uh, so it, in autism is like one of the big things that people talk about. There's other things too, but for for example, a vaccine may you might give some kids some vaccines, and some of them might have an increased risk for autism or seizures or different things. Uh, and does it cause it? I mean, definitely, there's a ton of kids that get vaccines that don't get autism. You know, so it's not like it always happens. Um, a little bit of reading I was doing. I I don't know how solid the research is, so don't. Nobody quote me on this, but I'm just saying I was uh, doing my best to to look into it. And one one sort of holistic medical doctor who was, is a licensed medical doctor on the holistic side, he claims on his website that uh, I think it's around I think it was it was upper 90s I believe it was 97 percent or something like that of women that have breast cancer have had a root canal, and and it's all almost always, again, like high 90s, almost always on that same side. So right root canal, right breast cancer. So just... Yeah, um, yeah it, actually, and actually, Chris, they did interject, and I don't mean to interject, but no, Dr. Absolutely. Dr. Easel's found 96% in his clinic when you look back at thousands of women that had breast cancer. And then at the Paracelsus Clinic in uh, Switzerland, where they were practicing similar, uh, you know, similar uh, type medicine, they actually uh, reported 98% in their population of women that had breast cancer. Got it. And not only that, they the high correlation between uh, right side root canal, it's the specific teeth that are energetically connected. Like, for instance, in acupuncture, we know that certain body parts are interconnected to other body parts. We know this, uh, you know, that's how acupuncture works. And so we know these uh, meridians, these Chinese meridians, but there's a connection between certain teeth and, and, the, uh, and breast cancer. Like I say, the upper right, upper right uh, second and, uh, first and second molar, and on the lower right, 
first, uh, second bicuspid, first uh, molar area region is quite often uh, related with the right side uh, breast. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. And, 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 and correlation, too. I've seen rook canal uh, on uh, with reabscess formation and uh, on upper anterior. And then I start talking to the patient, and lo and behold, they start giving me a little bit more of their medical history, and they start uh, discussing, you know, reproductive problems or sexual uh, dysfunction problems. And again, well, energetically, the upper anterior part of the mouth is uh, connected energetically to the uh, root canals or to the um, uh, sexual organs. Wow. Well. You know, just to kind of, I just want to wrap this up a little bit and just say that, yeah. uh, you know, for Chamonix and I, like, it's kind of like the proof is in the pudding thing. I mean, the fact that uh, that you did your procedure with her and then the arm pain was, boom, gone. I mean, it was just gone right away. She had some residual pain, like in her sinus, kind of, uh, because, you know, she just had a tooth extracted and um, different things. But... Um, but so that makes sense. But the, the arm pain was gone. And like I said, it has come back a couple of times. Uh, and, you know, we're getting ozone treatments and stuff for follow up and stuff. But we're very, very hopeful about this because the fact that, wow, the arm pain was just gone for a few days uh, or, you know, maybe it was even more than a few days. It might have been a week or two. I'm not sure. But it that's definitely amazing i mean she's been i've worked on her she's had you know i don't even know how many chiros work on her uh you know she's seen acupuncturists and physical therapists and massage therapists and i mean there's you name it and we've we've tried to do it so i mean um and you know certain things would help like a little bit but but in terms of like in terms of the actual pain going away uh, nobody was successful. So that was, that was huge for us, obviously. Yeah. Root canals. So certainly people are out there that a, they already have root canals. Some people have root canals. Yeah. B, there's going to be people that are listening to this and then maybe they, they're going to be going into uh, a dentist and the dentist is saying, or the periodontist or whatever is saying that, you know, Hey, you need this root canal. I, I, I highly recommend you get this root canal over here. What are the options from your paradigm? What are the options? Because a lot of times they, they just tell them there is no option. This is like, you know, you can be in pain and have this infected tooth for the rest of your life, or you can have this root canal. Those are the options. So what, what is the option for you from your paradigm? Yeah. Well, basically, most, uh, most dentists, just like myself, we were trained in dentistry, and we were not trained on the... Uh, whole body health. You know, we have a little bit of background. We had the anatomy. We had, you know, pharmacology. We had, uh, a variety, you know, uh, some basic human physiology. But we were not necessarily trained as doctors. We were trained as tooth mechanics. And so we can, as a dentist, a general dentist, we can mechanically do the procedure. But uh, my viewpoint is to look more at the whole body health. Um, I have training as a naturopathic MD also. And, and as we know, you know, we, we met each other at a functional medicine course. There's a whole area of, of uh, exploration that patients that might want to look into. But, you know, getting back to Dr. Easels, Dr. Easels in his book wrote a book called Cancer, Second Opinion. 
Okay, I recommend it for people that have had issues with cancer in their family. Or, and in his book, he has a whole chapter focus on the foci, meaning why would you treat the treat something when you're not looking at possible foci, meaning the possible source of the irritation. And in toxicology or any kind of uh, thing we're talking about here, what we're talking about or infection, we're talking about eliminating the toxins. Okay. And unfortunately, there's just not, uh, most dentists don't, aren't aware. They think that if you remove the, the, the canal of the tooth and if you do a picture-perfect root canal, that that root canal is fine then. And that's just not what the research shows. Uh, Stuart Nonally, uh, a surgeon down in Texas, actually took, uh, he had people come from all over the world uh, to see him, and he remo- safely removes root canal treated teeth, okay, and treats cavitations. And he took 100 teeth, looked at them, um, and basically looked at the post-op x-rays, of a, of the, looked at the x-rays before he removed the tooth, hit, took and did a histology and also did a chemical assays of the teeth after they were removed. He ended up having five specialists look at clinical x-rays, look at um, uh, the uh, all the, the the clinical exam on the patient, and he could only come up with on those five experts. He could only, and these were doctors that were endodontists and other dentists that could all agree that twenty five of those root canal teeth were absolutely perfect. There was nothing wrong with them. He submitted the ends of the roots of those teeth for toxicology testing. All of them were extremely toxic with endotoxins. Hmm. I think pretty, pretty strong evidence that there's no such thing as a good root canal tooth. Now, if you, if your goal is to say, well, I don't want to lose that tooth no matter what, fine. Uh, the root canal procedure is for you. And I do have patients that will say, I, I want that root canal. I mean, given an informed consent, I have to practice what's called the standard of care. I can't go and tell them I'm not, you know, I have to take that out or if I tell them that I won't take it out and they need and they want to work on all, they'll just go up the block to somebody else. Now, one of the things that you could, uh, uh, listeners could ask uh, their dentist is, do you have ozone? Okay. Because ozone is a gas that's a super strong oxidant that can actually inactivate, potentially at least disinfect the inside of that tooth better than just about anything that we've got available. We use chemical disinfection. Um, we can use... Uh, Hydrogen peroxide, for instance, um, we can use uh, bleach is essentially used as a disinfectant, uh, uh, chlorhexine. There's many different disinfectants you can use in the tooth. But once it's dried and if ozone gas is safely put in there, and you were right to mention that we can't breathe ozone gas. It's damaging to our lung tissue because our lung tissue uh, don't have uh, antioxidant protection on the lung tissue. So it's, it's a little difficult. To, we, we have to be careful breathing ozone gas. And so uh, properly done, though, a dentist that uses ozone can at least get a better disinfection possibly of that tooth. But I would still advise a patient, if you have this work, and I'll understand, I'm going to want to view this thing every six months. I'm going to want to review and see it. In my opinion, it is just a low-grade infection. We're just waiting for it to be problematic. Okay? And so... The other option, of course, then is an extraction. Now, if you extract and you clean and debride that bone properly, and then you disinfect it with the ozone, 
which can be, you, you can use ozone, for instance, Chris, in water also. So you can have ozonated water, you can flush it, but I like the use of ozone gas in the tissue to upgrade, to upgrade the body's immune system. And if we do that proper, we allow that site to heal, then your option for replacement is traditional uh, crown and bridge, maybe bridge a, a cap a tooth on either side of the space and then have a fake tooth in between. That's called a bridge. That's one option. The other option is to leave it alone, go without the tooth. The other option is something removable, a removable partial to put in in the mouth, and the, but you could take it out on a daily basis, brush and keep the clean, teeth clean, and then put it back in. And a lot of people don't want that. They want something that replaces the tooth. Well, then you're all of a sudden going to be looking at implantology. Your two choices there are a titanium implant or a titanium uh, oxide implant. They're all titanium oxide. But titanium oxide implant and or you're looking at a bioceramic implant, zirconium oxide, zirconia oxide, which is, in my opinion, a little bit more biocompatible. Although we don't have long-term uh, research on zirconia. The uh, Europeans have been using zirconia longer than we have, but in the United States, uh, they, they seem to be a very promising implant. And so I actually have replaced many teeth with successfully with zirconia implants. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. All right. Hey, just a quick question. It's a little bit of an aside, but with hydrogen peroxide, uh, you mentioned oral debriding. Um, I, I think yeah. you meant like as as the surgeon debriding, but um, but if you buy or uh, if you buy hydrogen peroxide at at uh, you know a drugstore for three dollars or something, it'll say right on the on the back label it'll say oral debridement or oral debriding, and and so you can literally just put this in your mouth. You're not supposed to swallow it, but you can put it in your mouth, hold it there for thirty seconds, minute, and then spit it out. Um, and if, for anyone that's done this, it's, it feels like very interesting because uh, just bubbles and stuff wherever there's bacteria. And um, <clears throat> I guess I was curious about that practice and, and if you think it's a healthy practice or not. Uh, it, it is a way to disinfect certain things. Uh, my question for you was, in my head, I'm thinking about taking antibiotics and killing... Of course, one of the problems with antibiotics is that you, you kill good bacteria and it damages the gut. There's a bunch of different issues with it. But you not only that, but you kill, you kill bad bacteria, which is the reason you're doing it in the first place. But then, of course, a lot of people are aware that there's you know, this uh, concept of the super infection where essentially you keep killing off bad bacteria and then only the most most pathogenic, the the worst of the worst bacteria, kind of uh, are able to uh, last through that antibiotic therapy. And then all of a sudden, it's like the big guys that are left, and now those have a ton more room because the other bad bacteria and the good bacteria are all a lot largely gone, and so there's more room for the super infection that's antibiotic resistant. So I'm just curious with hydrogen peroxide and oral debridement and putting it in your mouth, if you're killing off bacteria at you know, first blush, that seems like, oh, okay, that's, that's probably a really good thing. But then I wondered, wait, are we, is that going to cause some kind of dysbiosis in the mouth? And curious what your thoughts are on that. 
Yeah, well, a lot of people do already have dysbiosis in their mouth, Chris. They have uh, hydrogen, for instance, even a lot of mercury fillings in the mouth decreases. Um, I mean, what happens is you can start to create an acidosis in the mouth because you're, uh, so there, there's a lot of different things that could cause dysbiosis in the mouth of a healthy oral um, microbiome in the mouth. And hydrogen peroxide, number one, I won't buy it off the shelf and use it straight. Uh, I always tell people dilute it. One part of the 3% hydrogen peroxide to uh, th you know, three or four parts water. So I, I tell them to dilute it. And you can use it as an oral lavage. Now what you're doing is oxygenating because uh, hydrogen peroxide is going to release. And that's what that bubbly thing feeling you're getting. Okay. And so you're oxygenating and in a, in a case where you maybe have more anaerobic bacteria, but the anaerobic bacteria are existing deep down in pockets, okay, where it's anaerobic down there. There is no oxygen reaching those pockets. So the challenge with that is unless you have a professional oral debridement done where we're putting little irrigation needles down into gum tissue, it's not getting down below the gum tissue that effectively anyway, okay? But doing that short term is, is not a problem, especially when you have some uh, oral infection going on. But uh, I'm pretty much, uh, I try to avoid antibiotic uh, therapy as much as I can avoid it, okay? If, in fact, we really, the again, what's happened over a period of years in dentistry and in medicine is, you know, every little thing, somebody's running to the doctor and getting an antibiotic, and we are getting these superbugs, we'll call them, um, and antibiotic-resistant bacteria. I mean, the same problem is happening with the Lyme uh, bacteria. You know, the Borrelia bacteria that are uh, the initial cause of Lyme disease and some of the co-infection that goes on along with Lyme disease. These things are getting, you know, they're getting smart. They're mutating and, and getting better to uh, survive. And so um, I started more recently started looking, going back to quite often telling a patient or, or having a I have some in my office where I'll just give patients quite often oregano oil. Oregano oil has been shown to uh, be equal potent as a prescription of penicillin, for instance. But how come we don't use it? Yeah. I mean, it's safe. It doesn't hurt you. And so uh, I have a lot of patients use oregano oil. Uh, but there's times when you do need the antibiotic, especially if the infection has gone systemic, meaning it's uh, throughout their body. And, uh, they're showing signs of fever or extreme warmth or a cellulitis or it's really warm and hot in the area where the where they let's say had a tooth extracted. That's when we'll use an antibiotic. But whenever uh, somebody prescribes an oral antibiotic, I I could you know always tell patients to um, counter that with probiotics. I was reading an article that even one prescription of clindamycin, Chris, if you can imagine this, disrupts the gut by gut bacteria for four years. It's incredible. Well, you imagine these people that are getting antibiotics every couple months, because I have a lot of patients that are getting them for a variety of different reasons. You know, they're not coming from me necessarily. They might be coming from their MDs. But I found that I talked to people about taking a probiotic and they go, nobody's ever told me to do that. Well, I'm telling you, you should do it. Okay, <laughs> we 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 gotta we gotta nurture our gut. We gotta take care of our gut. We gotta. Um, uh, I mean, those are our friends down there. Without healthy, good bacteria in our gut, 
we're in a, we're in dysbiosis. And that's setting us up for a variety of other diseases. In the naturopathic uh, MD course, for instance, in the naturopathic world, basically, uh, I mean, we have a mantra, treat the gut first. And I think it's very similar in the functional medicine model. We, we talk about treating the gut. We have to... We have to get our uh, we have to get our our gut uh, flora back in array, you know, in, in proper uh, function. Absolutely, I mean it's definitely one of the really important things. Yeah. So with hydrogen peroxide, just to clarify, you're you're good with people doing that from time to time on their own yeah. at home if they uh, yeah. dilute the three uh, percent down a little bit to like one percent or something like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Got it. And then. Yeah. And then another question I have is, uh, as far as fluoride goes, I, I, I'd like to I'd like to get your opinion on this because I obviously I respect your your expertise in this area. So, and you're in an interesting situation because obviously you're you're a dentist, you're a periodontist, but you're also a naturopathic medical doctor. Uh, so you have a little bit more thought process around what's going on in the rest of the body than maybe your average dentist. And I'm just curious um, because if some people, so that say you get like a really, really mild cavity and you don't want to get a filling, that makes sense. Uh, One of the pieces of information or advice that a lot of dentists will give is like use some kind of fluoride rinse and that'll strengthen the teeth, like rebuild the enamel. So it almost seems like fluoride might be really good for your teeth, but bad for your body. And, And the things that I've seen is that uh, fluoride, there's a thought process that fluoride will actually, uh, sort of displace, uh, iodide, fluoride, iodide, and iodine is really important in the body, um, f- for thyroid function. And I, I do functional medicine laboratory testing and I, I run iodine on, on a lot of people. And I would say in my practice, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say, I think about nine out of 10 people are iodine deficient. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people are iodine deficient. And then you throw in fluoride on top of that. And it seems like not a great idea, but I'm, I'm also, but I also get that people want to strengthen their teeth. So what are your thoughts about that stuff? Well, first of all, uh, trace minerals uh, is one way to strengthen the teeth and, and give the environment uh, and make sure that our trace minerals are, are adequate in our body. Good nutrition, okay? But fluoride, you're talking a couple different things here. You, you know, sort of uh, going back and forth. There, there's the concept of topical application of fluoride, and then there's the concept of systemically feeding the human body fluoride. For instance, fluoridation in our water. Unfortunately, the United States government, in a lot of scenarios, a lot of city uh, uh, water supplies, is putting fluoride in the water, okay? And the idea is that helps minimize tooth decay. This is, uh, can you hear me right now? I sure can. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, And so, you know, uh, no, I don't agree with fluoridation in the water, okay? It's the biggest, well... (laughs) <laughs> I want to hang myself out here to dry and get, you know, have, get a call from the board about this. But uh, I think there's plenty of evidence that shows that it was the biggest deception ever perpetuated on the American public. First of all, the fluoride that's going in the water isn't a, a, a sodium fluoride, a safe chemical sodium fluoride. It's 
it's waste product from a fertilizer industry that's being awesome. sold to municipal <laughs> municipal supplies to clean it off smokestacks down in Florida and bring it up here and 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 and, uh, and uh, basically end up uh, um, putting it in an uh, it's a hydrofluoric acid and they put it in the water. Okay. Well, and so, of course, that's that's seen all over the yeah, all over the United States. All, yeah, and not just with not just with fluoride. I mean, that's like that's just our basic way in the United States, at least our basic way to think about chemistry is like, listen, you know, fluoride is fluoride. It doesn't matter if it came from industrial waste or you know where we got it uh, or what it's chelated to. Even you know, just like like. A chemical is a chemical, you know, like uh, this yeah. is ascorbic acid. It's vitamin C. Like it's fine. It does. Don't, don't worry about where it came from. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, unfortunately that's probably not the whole story. <laughs> no, it's not the whole story. And it is true that fluoride, uh, systemically suppresses uh, thyroid function. And you know, you know, better than myself, I, I'm, I'm not a functional medicine doctor as such as yourself, Chris, but you yourself just mentioned that you're starting to see this, uh, that this thyroid uh, function or suppression of the thyroid um, related and, and it possibly is related to fluoride, but understand it's not possibly just only the fluoride they're drinking. How about the fluoride in the water that we bathe from? Because we're, let's say we're shower, showering in fluoride and chloride and are in the water and we're absorbing these because everything we put on our skin, we're absorbing also into our body also. Oh, for sure. And so is that possibly uh, related then to the thyroid dysfunctions that we're seeing? I believe certainly so. So, I, you know, I'd recommend to people, I, I actually filter uh, my waters or reverse osmosis. Uh, I will not drink tap water. I, uh, we have uh, filters on our shower system at home where, when I bathe, okay? But I'm still exposed to some fluoride. I don't think the human body has a... Uh, uh, I don't think the human body has a lack of, we don't have a fluoride deficiency per right, se. Right. Okay. And then you get into fluoride and uh, fluoride impregnating into the teeth supposedly is the idea of why that would uh, uh, make strong, healthier teeth. That's the concept. Oh, well, if we have fluoride in, in, the, in the water, then we're developing strong uh, fluoride in the hydroxyapatite crystal with fluoride in it. It's true that there is hydroxyfluoroapatite uh, crystal, but now all of a sudden you have to realize it's getting in all um, uh, uh, calcified tissue. So we're also getting it in the bones. Okay. Now, does that lead to stronger bones? I don't know if I, we could say that it does. I, in fact, I, th would, I would suggest that kids nowadays have a higher fracture rate than kids back when I was a kid. Uh, you're younger, but when I was a kid, it was very rare for someone to break a bone. I mean, now, I mean, every kid breaks bones. Yeah, okay? not, I would not say it's rare at this point. No. And so, um, you know, is this related to Florida? I believe possibly so. Okay. Uh, we have an increase in uh, different types of bone cancers that sort of could be linked, if you really get delve into the research, could be linked to the timing of the fluoridation of the water in this country. Okay, so I, th I think sometimes we, we think we're doing something when we're not doing something. Tooth decay is uh, basically where bacteria, strep mutans, utilizes in, in high enough population of the mouth, utilizes sugars 
breaks it down into lactic uh, into acid that actually can dissolve the tooth structure. Maybe we just have to brush our teeth a little bit better. <laughs> okay. Getting back to uh, biosis, or you know, the biosis in our mouth. Maybe we could take uh, uh, oral probiotics. They have lozenges that you could take that can actually help uh, rebuild a more uh, healthy uh, oral flora. Okay. Breastfeeding a child, of course, will do that. Um, that's what's so critical about a breast breastfed child versus a bottle-fed child is that they develop the proper microbiome to resist disease both in the mouth and in the rest of the GI system. The mouth is just the start of the gastrointestinal system. So just to go back just a little bit here and, and hit the fluoride thing a little bit more, uh, you mentioned that I was talking about more than one thing and you know there's yeah. the systemic thing and then like just like rinsing with you know, scope or, or whatever rinses have I, um, fluoride in them. I guess in my head, if you're putting it in your mouth, even if you're spitting it out, you're probably getting some in, in your yeah. body. So, yeah. so again, just to, I want to get it from, from you. Do you feel that rinsing with fluoride or even brushing with a toothpaste that has fluoride, is that a good thing for the teeth and, does that seem pretty safe? I clearly, you're not in a fan of having fluoride in the in the city water. You know, should people buy, be buying fluoride rinses if they want to prevent tooth decay? In your opinion, in my opinion, it'd be it's a very unusual case where I would ever recommend fluoride. There is a, a new compound out there called uh, silver diamine fluoride, which you touch it on. I mean, touch it. It's very toxic material. You touch it on an area of tooth decay, and it'll kill all the bacteria. And uh, one or two treatments, done. I mean, it, it just will stop a cavity. I There might be a place for it, but I'm researching right now. In fact, i got a stack of papers on my desk to actually start looking at today. Is there a place for that? I'm not sure yet. I mean, I, I really just, no, I'm not sure yet. Got it. I, I just don't believe that the, the fluoride ion is lacking in the human body. Okay, I believe that we can, uh, uh, I mean, obviously we need some fluoride in the body, fluoride, ion in the body is natural, but to add it externally. The challenge I have in the dental practice is, for instance, putting in fluoride trays. Um, insurance industry pays for it. Insurance companies will pay for a fluoride treatment, adult fluoride treatment or child fluoride treatment. But I have a real problem with not giving people informed consent. So, Dr. Frequent, uh, you've got your little daughter here that needs, uh, uh, we want to do a fluoride treatment on them because statistically, we believe we could, could possibly prevent one quarter of one tooth of decay if she has this done over a period of time. I'd like to put this tray with fluoride gel in her mouth for five minutes. Now, Dr. Chris, um, please understand that if your daughter happens to swallow this while we're doing the procedure, she could die. Is that okay if we <laughs> if the, Is that is that okay if we proceed with the procedure? Now, that's the first I've heard of that. Is that a little bit of an overstatement? Like, what do you mean she no. could die? She could die of fluoride poisoning. Is it okay if we proceed with the procedure? There's not a dentist in this town that's getting that informed consent. He's not giving it because he doesn't understand, or he's not getting it even if he does understand because nobody would consent to that. Now, now, how much fluoride would they have to swallow? Like the whole thing that's in the tube? Oh, just a gob of fluoride. It depends on a little child, like your little uh, one of your smaller daughters. 
yeah. wouldn't have to swallow that much. Wow. You know, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're not, you know, to, to, to say, well, we should do this or not do this. I have a problem with the fact that dentists aren't giving informed consent. Same with the root canal procedure. Excuse me, Chris, I would like to do this root canal procedure on you. Now, I understand we're going to do the best we can at disinfection, but the real reality is we're not going to get it disinfected. We're going to leave some anaerobic bacteria that communicate with the rest of your body system. We know that there's rants, other cytokines, and endotoxins. Are, in fact, endotoxins more toxic than botulism are going to be remaining in that tooth when we get it all done. But it won't hurt, in, in a good case scenario, it won't hurt, and we'll eventually charge you another $1,000 or $2,000 to put a crown, build up in a crown on the tooth, but boy, you can keep that tooth. And, you know, those endotoxins could be, you know, cause a dysbiosis and maybe linked to other things such as cancer, heart attack, and stroke. Is it okay, doctor, if we go ahead and do that root canal procedure on you today? That would be an informed consent, at least, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's getting that. No. And so I, that's sort of the, the reality of what's going on with this stuff. And so uh, I'm a little bit passionate about the doctors that say, well, you know, you're, you're so far out there, you're a whack job. Okay, really? Well, you're so far out there, you're actually being uh, immoral. Right. Because everybody knows we're supposed to get informed consent. As a doctor, we're supposed to get informed consent. Now, every every litigation you'll ever have, they'll bring you into court. They'll say, did that patient have informed consent? And we're not giving them informed consent. Wow, yeah. So I have a little problem with some of it. And so, no, in my office, we don't use fluoride. And uh, if I'm up northern Minnesota and I'm on a weekend and I've got some good old Crest toothpaste with fluoride in it, am I not going to brush my teeth with it? No, I'm going to use it, brush my teeth. I'm going to spit it out, but I'm not going to use it as a daily toothbrush, uh, a to daily, uh, a daily uh, detrifice. Uh, I tend to actually, I've uh, tended to go quarter of the direction of some of the essential oil toothpaste now. Okay. Myself, personally. Any ones that you like particularly? There's one called Revitlin. Um, uh, I work with a company called Zizia that has a great, uh, 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 excuse me. Uh, essential oil toothpaste, you know. So there, there's a variety of them out there. You can find them on the internet. Revitlin is one that I've, I've purchased on from the, directly from the company, but it's available on the internet. It's a citrus oil uh, toothpaste. Seems like your mouth is very fresh, but it's not the dentrophytes. It's not the toothpaste. You know, you could actually just brush with water and get the bacteria off very effectively. It's just that we like the freshening effect of a toothpaste. And that being the case, you can put oil of myrrh, you know, M-Y-R-H-H, myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Put a couple drops of oil of myrrh in water and swish it throughout your mouth, and it has a good antibacterial effect. It would disinfect your mouth a little bit. Or just peppermint or spearmint, you know, oil, you know, essential oil. Yeah, and right. so, but so you're, you're getting at the, the fact that brushing the teeth, the actual, the physical manipulation of the plaque and the bacteria and stuff is actually the 99% of the benefit of that. That and then uh, also sugar. As you know, in the functional medicine realm, I mean, you know that as Americans, we just consume way too much sugar, corn syrup and other things. And if we actually reduce our sugar consumption, uh, what we see mostly with tooth decay on adult population is that they're taking all these different medications. 
you know, uh, you know, they're very aware that I have a 50 year old in my office that isn't taking two or three or four medications. All the side effects of these medications, if you look them up, almost all of them have uh, xerostomia or dry mouth as part of the side effect. Okay. So they're taking a blood pressure medication or they're taking a statin or they're taking one of the other compounds prescribed for the MD. But all those compounds cause xerostomia collectively when they're taking four of them, they're getting a, a big whammy of it. And so their mouth is dry and uh, lacks saliva. And so uh, then they all of a sudden start having more tooth decay. But again, you can't have the tooth decay per se unless you have a substrate for the bacteria to create the acid in the mouth. So on those patients, I really talk a lot about hydration and making sure you're always walking with water, keeping your mouth dry or uh, moist, excuse me, moist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. very cool. Well, you know, Dr. Carl, I, I feel like this, in a way, this might seem like almost backwards way to interview you, but I, I was just so excited to talk about Chamonix's uh, results. Uh, but I did want to talk to you before we before we let you go about a little bit about your personal story. Uh, you've referred over quite a few different patients to my practice because you respect functional medicine. And, and I'm curious if you, if you could kind of fill us in a little bit about how you've kind of come across uh, being more on that holistic uh, side and, and actually going through the work of getting the naturopathic MD and stuff like that. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a path. And I think for a lot of us, it, that's what it, life is. It's just a path. Um, I was trained as a traditional dentist, doctor of dental surgery at the University of Minnesota, graduated in 1981, went on to receive a master's of science degree in periodontology, which is the treatment of gum disease, 1985. Went down, practiced in the Caribbean for a bit, came back. My dad was a dentist and uh, started to realize that there was a big need for uh, patients that were extremely phobic, weren't going to the dentist, period, you know. Um, and because they were frightened of childhood experiences or whatever reasons, they were phobic of dentistry. So I actually bought my dad's practice out and started a practice called sedation and, and implant dentistry. I was also very early in the implantology field and rode that wave for many years, uh, built a very large practice. I'd always been, uh, you know, for probably 20 years, I've been in mercury-free practice, meaning I understood that Mercury in the dental amalgams was probably not good for you. I had some amalgams in my mouth, had them removed, and it was like night and day difference. I had testing done back then, and in my system, because I'm exposed to it on a daily basis, and in my own system, because I had mercury fillings, um, I was quite mercury toxic. Now, thankfully, I have a, uh, a genetic uh, makeup that allows me to detoxify toxins. Some people don't. Some people are carrying, as you well know, uh, gene SNPs, and they can't detoxify very well, okay? But I could detoxify pretty well. So through a course of uh, natural, uh, good nutrition and natural products, over a period of time, I was able to get my blood levels down of mercury in my system down quite low and sort of went along uh, not placing mercury fillings, safely removing mercury fillings, for many years. But it was a couple years back, probably about four years back, um, 
I mean, my mother also passed away from Alzheimer's disease, so I'm maybe more sensitive to, you know, having the normal lapses that people have. Uh, I'm 61 years old now, but so going back, I was about 57. And, uh, you know, leaving the keys on the counter, walking all the way out to the car and realizing I don't have the keys. Okay, you know, it just sort of make, you know, everybody say, oh, you're just getting older. But the challenge was one day when I was looking at one of my favorite newest and coolest grandsons, and uh, we get to spend a lot of time with them. We're very blessed with a lot of children, a lot of grandchildren. Uh, but I'm, my newest and coolest, I'm starting to looking at him, and I can't conjure up his name. For the life of me, I can't remember his first name. And that started to bother me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'm also a uh, prayerful person, and I, there are some prayers that I do that, uh, you know, besides just spending a little time with God in the morning and my little daily meditation, I also, on the way to work, uh, recite some uh, prayers, uh, you know, that many people know, the prayer of St. Francis of Sisi, uh, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, there is, where there is hatred, let me bring love. That prayer, I couldn't get past the first sentence. I couldn't remember it. I mean, I've only said it 20,000 times. Or uh, the rosary, for people that are maybe know the rosary, the, prayer, the rosary prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed are ye among women. I couldn't get past the first sentence. So I really started to get a little bit concerned. There's something really wrong here. Hmm. And uh, I happened to be on a website called quicksilverscientific.com, uh, and I was looking for mercury detox. I started thinking maybe I've got... I've got to be retest my mercury levels, you know, because maybe I'm having a uh, uh, a release of mercury from bone tissue or metabolism. Years later, mercury can be tied up in the interstitial fluid like we talked about earlier in the ground substance. And you start breaking down that uh, interstitial fluid and all of a sudden you would start releasing mercury that was trapped there. I started thinking, well, maybe I'm getting mercury toxic again. because uh, And so I, I, I basically was on a website looking and I happened to notice um, – a functional medicine doctor, um, it wasn't you, unfortunately, I didn't know you at that time, Chris, but it was a, a friend, a, a, a name that I remember back from when I was in dental school. And so I called him up and we started talking about mercury toxicity and I started relating that I was having problems with my neurologic health. And I said, you know, what's, what is functional medicine? So then he started telling me about functional medicine. I'd previously writ, uh, uh, read a couple books about it and so I, I understood the concept a little bit, but um, I said, hey, listen, I got to come over and see you. So I came over and saw him, and we went through all the testing, and basically came came number one. I'm a, I'm a carrier of, I have a gene SNP, uh, I'm an EPO24, which makes me a little more um, susceptible to development of Alzheimer's disease, okay? The so a- just, you, you're an APOE24, is that what you said? Yeah. Two four, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm a four four. Ooh, okay. <laughs> which, which also is not good. <laughs> yeah, you got to be really careful. Yeah. So you know, man, with my mom's history, that that concerned me a little bit, and so I I, I was um, basically went through all the testing, and and it turned out that you know, functionally, I mean, my uh, my medical side, if you look at the traditional things a traditional doctor looks at, my blood chemistry panel. I mean, you know, everything's perfect. You know, I have good blood pressure, good, uh, my cholesterol is, is normal. I, you know, all these things, I, you know, he says, you know, your body could go to 95 years old, but basically if I look at the Tsar side, which is 
food sensitivities and allergies and some of these other things, he says, you're off the chart on a few of these things. Now, I, you know, I found it sort of hard to believe because I, I've never had a problem eating any food I wanted to eat. You know, I've never, I, I thought if you were, for instance, sensitive to gluten, that meant that if you ate bread or something, you uh, got diarrhea or something. I, that never happened. Right. Or you get an upset stomach. That never happened. You know, I mean, I mean, I'd eat hot sauce, uh, you know, been all over the world. And so I thought, you know, I don't know, if, you know, that didn't make a lot of sense. But I was off the chart on a few different things, uh, you know, basically gluten, uh, casomorphin, which is a component of dairy, teff, soy, hemp, and quinoa, of all things. I, you know, didn't even pay attention. I didn't even know what quinoa was. Right. I guess I, I was eating it, but I didn't understand what it was. In either case, he suggested a detox diet, which I started immediately uh, because I was quite frightened. And uh, within two weeks, you know, my memory and my normal brain function was back. Okay. Um, and, you know, continued on with it. Happened to lose a few unwanted pounds. I didn't, it wasn't that I was overweight, but I wasn't, you know, I mean, I had the normal little bit of uh Blubber on my midriff. Okay, lost sure. that. Uh, felt great. Strength is great, but that got me really aware of what uh, a functional medicine doctor could do. I mean, that simple of a thing has just like unbelievable to me. So that got me, you know, going to some of those seminars, like like how I met you. Uh, yeah. That got me studying a variety of other things. I'd always, always I have been in the past uh, and have studied nutrition. So in either case, long story short of it, over a period of time, I realized, you know, I'm just going to happen to sign up for this naturopathic uh, course. And, and, and so I signed up for that uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and that's where I got exposed to neurotherapy, to ozone, neurotherapy, some of these alternative, if you want to call them alternative. But like I say, they're not alternative in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. it's, only, it's only in this country we call this stuff alternative. Um, but uh, I started to uh, uh, get very deep into a lot of these other things, really intensively studying it and applying them to some of my patient population, which has led to this, our meeting each other, which led to maybe to being able to hopefully help your, your uh, uh, Shamani with her situation, as well as many other patients that we've, we've helped. Very awesome. Well, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate all of that. Yeah, I appreciate you, Chris, and what you do. And uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, people that don't understand this functional medicine model, I, 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 when I had a problem, I didn't run to the normal MD. I didn't want them to tell me, hey, yeah, your mom had it. You're probably going to get it. And uh, here's, a, here's a drug. <laughs> my body yeah. didn't. I don't have a deficiency of drugs in my body. I just had a dysbiosis and somebody had to help me understand that, you know? Very awesome. And that's what you guys do so well. So I appreciate you. Well, thank you, sir. God bless. You have a great day. Give that little daughter a hug. She's so cute. And I, between I you, definitely will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shamani's not online right now, right? I, I do I do think she looks a little most like you, but I, yeah. <laughs> just between you and me, okay. <laughs> just between you and me. She's a cute little daughter. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. See okay, you, have a great day. Bye. Thanks. Bye.
Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting-edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more.